Creative Matters. Conversations on all things culture and creativity from Arts Council England. Hello and welcome to Creative Matters, the podcast from Arts Council England. I'm your host, Tara Joshi. This series is all about the Arts Council's new 10-year strategy, Let's Create, which you can find at artscouncil.org.uk forward slash let's create. The strategy outlines how the Arts Council will work from 2020 to 2030. It focuses on making sure everyone in England can enjoy the benefits that come from experiencing culture and being creative, no matter where they live, while also supporting the country's most talented artists and cultural organisations to help create a world-leading cultural sector. The strategy contains four investment principles, ambition and quality, environmental responsibility, dynamism and inclusivity and relevance. All of these will inform how the Arts Council will work to achieve these goals. We'll go into more detail about what these all mean in future episodes, but today is all about first impressions. So we're asking our panel to give us their initial reactions to the strategy. What does it mean for them and the spheres they work in? We want to hear about what they like about the new direction and where they think the big opportunities lie, as well as anything they think might be difficult or challenging. So now we're going to say hello to our panel. We have Laurie Peake, who is a curator specialising in large-scale, long-term art projects involving collaborations between artists and local communities. She is currently director of Super Slow Way, a Lancashire-based community arts organisation that is part of the Arts Council's Creative People and Places programme. Hi, Laurie. Hi. We also have Holly Smith-Charles, director of Gloucester Culture Trust. They're a cultural development agency working with arts organisations in Gloucester, including those receiving Arts Council funding, and have also received investment themselves from the Arts Council's Great Places scheme. Hi, Holly. Hello. Finally, we're joined by musician and visual artist Sheila Morris-Gray. Sheila plays with jazz group Naria and is the band leader of Kokoroko, who featured on the seminal compilation We Out Here, documenting London's recent jazz scene. She has also performed with artists including Solange, Kano and Little Sims. Hi, Sheila. Hi. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I was interested in hearing your initial impressions of the strategy. Do you think that it has the right priorities? Is it ambitious enough or does it need to go further? So, Laurie, I'll start with you. Well, yeah, I'm pleased to see it. I think what's particularly refreshing is to see that there's a real attempt to refocus the scope of work for the Arts Council and particularly its acknowledgement that there's a lot of people out there in the country that just don't benefit from its funding at the moment, particularly in non-metropolitan centres and particularly, dare I say it, that's beyond the southeast and particularly, obviously, beyond London. There is this kind of perception in places like where I live that actually that's where art happens and that's the expectation and there's no expectation for it to happen in Nelson, Burnley or Accrington. And obviously culture and creativity does happen in those places. They're incredibly vibrant, but it doesn't get acknowledged enough. And I hope it seems that this strategy is really trying to redress that. Sheila, what about you? What were your first impressions? Yeah, very similar to yours. Yeah, I couldn't help but think about my upbringing. I grew up in South London. What we did get exposed to was great, but 
it could be even greater. So to have the next 10 years focus on that was absolutely amazing. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward. But also looking beyond London, I have done some workshops in Birmingham and further north. There is definitely a massive difference what's going on there and what's happening in London. Mm-hmm. Um, I could definitely see that. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree. It would be great to see. I think it's very positive. Holly, what about you? Yeah, I'd agree with Laurie and Sheila. I think it's very exciting. I thought it was very interesting that they make a lot about development agency, mm-hmm. not just as a funder. So really active. You got the, the sense throughout the strategy that they really want to champion the sector, advocate for the work that we're all doing and the, the benefits that that can have beyond just you know, culture per se. And I think all of us that have worked with Arts Council officers on the ground have seen that and seen that passion. So to see it really brought to life in the strategy, I think is is great. I felt really encouraged that they're backing us and backing what we're doing. In the context of what we've just been talking about, I'd like to read you the overall vision that's been set out in Let's Create. So it says... By 2030, we want England to be a country in which the creativity of each of us is valued and given the chance to flourish, and where every one of us has access to a remarkable range of high-quality cultural experiences. As you've all mentioned, there are some changes from the previous strategy to help realise this vision. For example, in Let's Create, there's a greater emphasis on supporting individual artists and helping members of the public to develop their creativity, as well as investing in arts organisations. Sheila, if I could start with you as an artist. When I look at my upbringing in London, a lot of my creativity, I don't think I came from the most financially privileged background, but I definitely feel like I had some kind of privilege in the education I got. Whether, like you said before, I'm I'm a musician and artist, and a lot of the uh, support I had growing up from primary school through to university was great. Whether it being part of Connecticut Blocker or Tomorrow's Warriors who have been supported by Arts Council, it's definitely been like a great support system in terms of nurturing um, my creativity and other peers around me, um, as you know, within the London jazz scene and just my peers in general. So yeah, it's been great. But in terms of looking forward, there are a lot of things that do need to be worked upon and be developed for this upcoming decade. One of the main things I think about is, um, yeah, more people of, I don't know if it's right for me to say, but more people from underprivileged backgrounds, um, seeing more people in uh, art colleges, in music colleges, because those places, when you get further into um, education or higher education, those places aren't as diverse as they should be. So, yeah, I would like to see conservatoires and art colleges with people of all backgrounds um, really Holly, what are your thoughts on trying to focus on individuals as well as organisations? I think that shift in emphasis is really important. And outside of the big metropolitan areas and, and the places where there are fantastic MPOs that are nurturing talent and developing talent, actually, in terms of making culture happen outside of those metropolitan areas, a lot of it falls down to individual artists. So there's, there's a lot of emphasis on individual practitioners to make projects happen and to get things off the ground. And sometimes they'll come together. and that, But that energy and that talent is really is really vital, arguably even more so outside of the big cities. I think the challenge is how you support those individual artists and nurture a kind of creative community. I mean, the London Jazz scene is a great example of where you've got loads of individual artists that have kind of come together in sort of various loose collectives, but really exciting scene. So I guess the challenge for all of us is how do we how do we create that sense of a community even when you're in a kind of very rural county like Gloucestershire or, or Lancashire or wherever. So the point of this 
strategy is not to flesh out the details of how that will happen, but I do think that's something that will need to be given some some more thought. I mean, those are the kind of professional sector, if you like, but I think this emphasis on the celebration of everyday creativity is really vital as as well. And of course, you need that everyday creativity to get that pool of talent developing. So, so I think it's great that the Arts Council is kind of recognising the value of that a lot more explicitly. Just to elaborate on individual artists, I do think it's really important to actually invest time Mm -hmm. in um, how we can help individual artists give back essentially and and support. There are a few organisations that do do that, but we do need a lot more than that. We've all been talking about how Let's Create is aiming to give communities more power to design and create the cultural experiences on offer where they live. And obviously there are opportunities there, but also there will be some challenges for the Arts Council. So in your opinions, what are some of those opportunities and what are some of those challenges going to be? Holly, I'll start with you. I think there's lots of opportunities. You know, making a virtue of the lack of formal spaces for culture and creativity is is something that I think lots of places can do. Gloucester, again, lacks a lot of the infrastructure that you might expect. And we're, we're, we're trying to make use of the incredible built heritage that the city has. And I think, con- you know, connecting heritage buildings and contemporary arts uh, much more closely is a really exciting way of engaging people in their local city and really getting them to feel invested in the in the cultural offer that's being developed. I think it's also enabling us to kind of interpret and explore the stories of the places where people live and, and doing that in new ways. And I think it's really exciting that artists are part of that process so building on the the skills that and and kind of perspective that artists can bring to that in a way that say traditional interpretation wouldn't so I think there's a real opportunity there and then we've seen in Gloucester and clearly the Arts Council have picked up on this in their consultation for the strategy but there's no lack of ambition and ideas within what's known as disengaged communities it's just that we're not found ways to harness it and I think the massive opportunities in all the ways that the strategy talks about around partnership working and collaboration is to connect in with those communities I think the challenge is the infrastructure is is, is an issue and it, it is expensive and it is <laughs> it can be trickier to use non sort of arts venues I think as well perceptions can be stubborn I think the idea that culture and I notice there's a big shift in language in the strategy towards culture and creativity rather than the arts and sounds very highfalutin so but but that's going to take some time I think to break down that that stereotype that you either have really extraordinary art and culture or you have popular events or whatever um so I think that pace of change and that need for continued support and that that's as much about advocacy and championing and relationships with local authorities or whatever as much as it is about funding but I think recognizing that you know some places are starting quite far behind others is going to be one of the challenges. If, if project funding kind of stops and starts, it, it breeds some cynicism, I think, that things aren't really changing. It's just pots of money here and there that come and go. So I do think working in partnership and having this kind of Arts Council relationship on the ground is, is how we can you know, tackle some of that. I think giving communities more power to design and create their own cultural experiences is absolutely, I think, what we would all sign up to. And like Holly said, how do you harness that? Challenges are profound and many, not least poverty in our area. And I think it's the same across the country that it's simply not race and faith that divides us, but it's money. And deep poverty, I'm afraid, is something that we need to tackle head on. Poverty itself, I know, so, you know, economic 
challenges are mentioned in the strategy, but it doesn't confront it head on that certainly most of the creative people and places programmes are in the top places of multiple deprivation indices, which are largely health indices, which are reflections of poverty. And when you have got no money, you can hardly feed your kids. You're not going to spend money on the theatre, but you can't spend money to get on a bus to go to the next place where the artist is doing this amazing work. And particularly over the past 10 years where social and youth services, etc., have been eroded, it's so difficult. So there needs to be some pragmatism within the strategy that actually, you know, there has to be money for a minibus to take people places. And also the time that it takes to get over the challenges of the barriers to certain cultural activity that is prohibited by some faith groups. And that takes a lot of time for understanding and getting to know each other. And time costs money. I definitely agree with all of those points and I think it's very important, especially in London, where I feel like um, there are a lot of venues that are definitely coming up and people are attending these venues. They're great venues, but a lot of them aren't free and aren't available to the general public or just communities in general. One thing I have noticed in the past couple of years with the uprising of the jazz scene, there are certain venues that have come about, one being Steam Down, based in uh, South East London. And um, another one which doesn't exist anymore, which is a massive shame, but which it really um, did help a lot of us. Um, this is where a lot of us performed and like generated a lot of ideas. Um, another place called uh, Total Refreshment Centre, TRC. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist in the same way. Um, so yeah, we definitely need to nurture more communities. Laurie, this is actually something you touched on regarding the possibility of some of these changes happening by the time we get to 2030. Obviously, it's ambitious to make a plan that will be relevant for the next decade, especially given the pace of change in so many areas at the moment. So with that in mind, one of the investment principles in the new strategy is dynamism. In this context, that's about making sure organisations are resilient and able to adapt to challenges they may face in the future. It touches on all sorts of things, including exploring new business models, generating income from philanthropy and making the most of digital technology. What do we think about the strategy's approach to this? I think this is going to be quite a challenge. We know that um, sponsorship and philanthropy traditionally has been focused on London. um, So that's going to be and and London based organisations. So that's going to be quite a big shift. But I think this dynamism, I think, runs through through the strategy. I think the goals of the strategy about having, so for example, we mentioned about having more flow between publicly funded culture and the creative industries. Um, I think having those skills and that kind of cultural shift like between organisations and the workforce having a kind of broader range of skills can help to achieve what they're setting out here. And again, I think partnership working across local authorities and higher education and healthcare providers, criminal justice system, I think all of those ideas, that idea that it's not sort of culture in a bubble it's 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 connecting into different aspects I think will will help to broaden the range of funders and investors the Arts Council will also need to be dynamic and and support that change so I think the idea that they're going to be more flexible in how they fund things so not just grants kind of being a flexible investor I think is the phrase they use I think will be really important and this idea of cross-disciplinary approach to things rather than being art form specific it doesn't you know I've always found it quite weird really (laughs) probably because I'm a bit of a jack of all trades but it it doesn't really matter whether someone's singing or painting or 
dancing or whatever. The, the point is they're doing something creative. So I think if, um, if, if the Arts Council and also other funders, they talk about other national lottery funders, can also be quite dynamic and interdisciplinary, I think that's going to be the way that this shift could, could happen. Um, Sheila, I, I know you were talking about venue closures and that kind of thing. So in your opinion, how can the Arts Council be mindful of unpredictable changes over the next 10 years? I was thinking of maybe uh, building alliances with like bigger venues, bridging those gaps between the smaller venues and the bigger venues and making those as accessible. And I was just thinking as an artist, also bridging the gap from being an artist, trying to make money and trying to survive and actually giving back. I think you've got a point about the different organisations working together. I think, um, I mean, in Gloucester, we've been working quite closely with the Roundhouse in Camden and it's been very much an exchange of ideas and expertise. And I think learning from them and their kind of best practice in terms of engaging their local communities um, and looking at how they nurture talent and they're setting up a creative hub, which is something we're trying to do in Gloucester as well. Um, But also for them, I think understanding the reality of working in culture outside of North London um, has has been a, a real journey for them as well. So that I, I think that's a really good point. Actually, connecting different scales of organisations and different and different art forms can be beneficial all round. And I think key in that is what you mentioned earlier, Holly, is, is the Arts Council being able to be a flexible investor. And I've got to say, I think they've been very flexible with us over the past five years. Because I think creative people and places programmes were set up as action research programmes, which has been such a fantastic um, benefit, actually, um, because it has allowed us to fail and learn from failure and move on. But also, I think Creative People and Places is a really interesting case study as a precursor to the strategy because... Arts Council set them up that they had to be consortiums and they were encouraged to be led by non-arts organisations and that meant that there was a maybe somewhat forced strategic partnership working going on there that certainly has paid dividends. Well, next up, I wanted to talk a bit about how this strategy is going to be used um, and Laurie You've just been talking about your experiences with the Arts Council in the past five years. If it's anything like the Arts Council's last 10-year strategy, the priorities set out in Let's Create are going to have real practical impact on how people and organisations work in the creative and cultural sector. For example, when people are submitting funding applications and asking for investment from the Arts Council, they'll have to show how they're responding to priorities set out by the investment principles. So with that in mind, do you think these investment principles, and to remind everyone, those are ambition and quality, environmental responsibility, dynamism and inclusivity and relevance, do we think those are the right ones? Do they align with what artists and cultural organisations will want to achieve over the next 10 years? I think it's um, quite a wake-up call, actually. There's, there's clearly no um, no room for complacency. I think they've set quite a challenge, actually, for the certainly for the sort of cultural establishment, shall we say. Um, I think the idea that, you know, missions and business models might need to change is stated very clearly that that's what they're thinking. So I think it's good as a, as a, as a starting point to get the, se- 
sector really thinking about what they invest in and, and why they why they're asking for investment. The focus on the climate crisis and sustainability is something that a lot of artists have, have already been thinking about and engaging with. And and I mean certainly in Gloucester we're looking at in how can we use art to get those messages across. And Extinction Rebellion started in Stroud just down the road from Gloucester, and and we want to connect in with that that kind of environmental movement. And and so I think I think there's a lot of ambition and and interest in that as a theme um so so certainly yeah i think it's something that the arts organizations have started to think about and and again likewise it talks again about having to show how you're going to build relationships with your communities and reflect the communities that you're working in you can't just say you're going to do it you have to set out how and um i think that's absolutely i think that's absolutely right um and likewise in terms of the diversity of your your workforce and your board um again there's i think it's something that's been growing in awareness and momentum over the last few years but it's I suspect it's going to be quite a challenge for a lot of the uh, arts sector. Sheila thinking about you as an artist you and your peers if you were considering applying for arts council funding would you consider the principles that they're keeping in mind now do you think that you would feel covered by those things that you would feel like yeah I can apply for this? Definitely, yes. Mm. I would like I'm able to apply for these things. However, in terms of actually doing the application, there needs to be a lot more support in that. From my experience, literally only a certain amount of people know how to write application or have the right support around them to enable them to, to write applications. Yeah, just thinking about, you know, other, I don't know about these organisations that I mentioned before, but the smaller venues that are coming up or um, communities that are coming up, I don't know how many of them have that support to enable them to to apply for funding. So, yeah, I think that's definitely something that definitely needs to be looked at in terms of um, bridging that gap between, you know, people who actually do come for these communities and do actually end up being creatives in a way of, like, being able to actually give back. But how do you enable that to happen? That could be applying for funding. That could be providing those spaces for that to happen within the community. Like my experience, I've come through Connecticut Blocker, I've come through Tomorrow's Warriors and through that, um, there has been that support. But say someone who has grown up in maybe South Croydon and hasn't had that experience, has managed to become an artist but doesn't have that, you know, support, they will just continue. I guess it will be good. It is a good thing that they'll be able to continue their their, um, career. But there needs to be that extra support of, okay, you can apply for funding to make your project greater or to give back or in whatever way yeah absolutely i think awareness of these things even existing is really important so we're running out of time but i do have one last question for everyone what are you most excited about in the next 10 years and what is it that you want to achieve or create by 2030 that can be anything personal or professional yeah, I mean, I'd really love to see East Lancashire figuring largely on the cultural map of the country, which I don't believe it is at, at the moment, uh, although there's some amazing work happening there. Um, so it's being able to find a platform for that um, and seeing the strategy really coming through in terms of supporting what it's setting out to support 
And there just has to be a, a real acknowledgement of that massive gap in our areas, particularly, I'm sorry to say, in the north, where these areas of multiple deprivation have been left behind over the decades. And we have a lot of catching up to do. But we have so many exciting plans. So by 2030, I'd like to see the UK's first linear park along the Leeds-Liverpool Canal in East Lanx, um, with venues all along it that have incredible communities creating um, great work and particularly harnessing all the digital energy that young people have in that area to put that um, out there and show it publicly so people are aware of it, particularly uh, on the canal towpath, which is so symbolic of our region's history and contemporary creativity. Sheila, what would you like to have achieved or created by 2030? I was thinking about how old I will be. (laughs) (laughs) But um, for the longest time, um, I've always really envisioned bringing both of my art forms together. So, yeah, I would like to somehow do that, but do it in a way that does literally involve the community I grew up in. Um, at the moment, it's kind of already happening with Kokoroko and Nuria. Just really seeing, um, when we do our London shows, just seeing the audiences really have people from the communities. Yeah, I would love to see people from, if I do a show in Brixton, literally people from Brixton come in to see the shows. So, yeah, that's something I definitely want to see in 2030. Holly? I'd like to see the UK. I mean, it's already a cultural powerhouse, but I think if by 2030 it was very much on the global map, but not as concentrated in London, I think seeing the whole of uh, England in in terms of Arts Council regions, um, the whole of the country really attractive as a place to come and be creative and make work and make things happen. I think that that would be extraordinary. I think as well this this sense that cultural surprises can happen in any street corner or any part of the country that these pockets of creativity um, can emerge and grow all over the place. I think that sort of ambition is as vitally important as well. Um, I think it'll make a huge difference for um, well places all over the country, specifically for, for Gloucester. And, and so I'm really excited to be kind of part of the process, if you like, of helping to make that change. On a personal level, my son will be 18 in 2030, which is a terrifying thought. Um, but I guess my, my hope for, for him and his friends and his peers is that creativity will kind of run through his life as he grows up and be very much a part of his life growing up. I think for boys especially, you know, it's, it's a shift in thinking perhaps by teachers and parents. I want dancing and singing and painting or whatever to be as much a part of their everyday life as going for a kickabout in the park. So I think um, that investment in the next generation is really vital. That's really beautiful. Thank you for that. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. Thanks again to our panel, Holly, Laurie and Sheila. Thank Thank you. It's been great getting your first impressions on this new direction for the Arts Council and the creative and cultural sector in England. Next time, we're going to be talking about the investment principle focusing on environmental responsibility and what that means for culture and creativity in 2020 and beyond. So stay tuned for that. And if you have any burning questions or comments, please share them using the Let's Create hashtag. And finally, please like, rate and subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back soon. Goodbye. Creative Matters, conversations on all things culture and creativity from Arts Council England.